Hello and welcome to Red Shirts, a podcast about Star Trek. I'm your host, Jake Donaldson, and I'm joined, as ever, by my wonderful co-hosts, Maddie Lower Decks Church House and Nathan Show Your Dicks Thomas. <laughs> Without further ado, let's engage. That's a little uh, reference there. Show your dicks, Thomas, to uh, the... I've made it plural uh, as a, a reference uh, to Worf and his two Klingon dicks, uh, which I'm sure will come up in this episode, uh, which, oh. in which we are looking... It's episode 30. We've, we've, been, we've been going for 30 episodes, That's amazing. guys. That's ridiculous. I think your, your title for Nathan this week was really accurate because just for the listeners' information, I woke up this morning to a Facebook message from Nathan being like, look what I found on the internet, guys, and it was a Klingon dildo. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I got the same message. I was. I, I got up at five, and when it's five a.m. and you can't get back to sleep, there are some interesting things that happen on the internet. Well, this is the thing. This might be, a, yeah, it's probably of interest to the listener um, because the reason I I was also up at five o'clock because I am currently uh, quite ill with some sort of. Uh, stomach infection or something like that so I was up dying uh, of gallbladder pain at 5 o'clock and I received the, the Klingon dildo text um, Nathan's be- Nathan's moving house this weekend and has been uh, busy all day so he's absolutely shattered during this record, we're recording on a Friday yeah. night and just we, before we, we start my job, <laughs> just w- I just want to tell the listeners sorry, before you go on yeah. my job is to sync the like, because I edit it, I always do the countdown for the clap and stuff, because I know I'm going to use my audio as the baseline to get us all in sync and all working properly. When we started the recording, just as a measure of how tired I am, Jake goes, right, I'm ready. And I just go, well, off you go then. <laughs> and Jake and Maddie go, do you want to do a clap? Yeah. And I was like, yes, I would like to do that. Every, it's, every episode for 30 episodes, that's seven months worth of recordings, we've done a one, two, three clap that you instigate at the start of every recording. And this is how tired you are that you completely forgot that that is a thing. I think that's like one of your only jobs. It's a sign of how like amazing we are that we've got 30 episodes of content out of Klingon dicks. Like how many people are there out there who you think could have gone on for six months just consistently talking about Worf's double-headed penis and like making it entertaining <laughs> and clapping in sync every single week. I think we should all just give ourselves an MBE <laughs> and a pat on the back. <laughs> well, let, uh, let's uh, let's move on because we've got a um, we're, we're doing as a special 30th, 30th episode uh, spectacular, we're doing an episode entirely about a movie as we always do every 10 episodes uh, and the movie we're looking at is 1994's Star Trek Generations which is one of my favourite Star Yay. Trek films uh, I'm so happy, I'm sure we've got lots to say and I'm sure Worf's double-headed Klingon dick will turn up at some <laughs> point um, but before we get into it, Nathan Thomas do you want to explain the plot in your patented banner? I absolutely would uh, so, obviously it's quite long because it's a film episode, um, but, you know, much gentler than uh, Lower Decks. Uh, <laughs> we open 
With the launch of the Enterprise B, which is heralded by a beautiful opening title sequence of the champagne bottle hitting the side of the ship, traveling through space and eventually colliding against it. One thing I will say for this film um, is it is very good at convincing destruction. <laughs> yes! Um, and uh, there is some nice banter as we learn that there is a Sulu at the helm and the legends Kirk, Chekhov and Scotty are here to see the ship on its shakedown cruise. Kirk gets to take the ship out uh, while being bothered by the press and applauded for that one order. Something that Scotty and Chekhov immediately take the piss out of. <laughs> Uh, soon, however, the Enterprise B gets a hail from a, a ship bringing Elorian refugees to Earth. Captain John Harriman um, learns the bane of being an Enterprise captain, despite having literally just set out from Earth and being maybe five minutes in, and it's only a trip around Venus. He's the only ship in range. <sighs> <laughs> when will Starfleet learn? Uh, they uh, see the two transports breaking up under stress of being caught in some kind of energy ribbon and the Star Trek some kind of are going to come out a lot while describing this phenomenon. <laughs> uh, turns out half the Enterprise equipment is not being installed till until Tuesday uh, stopping most of Kirk's recommendations uh, dead and a transport vessel is destroyed. Harriman asks for suggestions and begins to and Kirk begins to advise the new bug to beam the civilians aboard. After all, risk is part of the game if you want to sit in the big chair. Chekhov uh, conscripts the press as nurses, and Scotty manages to get 47 out of 150 refugees clear. But the Enterprise is a bit stuck now and is rocked by an energy blast. The two captains begin to try to get the ship out um, while Chekhov tries to help. Um, a strange man that has been rescued began, uh, demands to go back until tranquilized, and we briefly see Guinan being escorted away. Interesting. Uh, Scotty has a plan. An antimatter discharge. But... There are no torpedoes coming on Tuesday. Um, so, we could do it with the main deflector. That will require some reprogramming. Harriman offers to go and gives Kirk the bridge. He sits in the chair. The music swells. But he remembers he is not the captain of the Enterprise. He'll take care of it. Harriman's place is on the bridge. Kirk climbs through the Jeffrey tubes to make the necessary changes. Uh, the Enterprise breaks three, but is struck by a blast. Uh, there is a hull breach in engineering section, and Ensign Sulu realises the breach is across the section Kirk was working in. Sulu and Scotty go, but there is no trace of their captain. 78 years later, there is a sailing ship called Enterprise, on which stand Picard, Riker, and the rest of the crew of the Enterprise D. Riker demands that his prisoner is brought out. Turns out, it's Mr. Worf. Riker reads out the charges. Worf has gone... Above and beyond the call of duty, and earned the respect and admiration of the crew. His punishment is to earn a promotion. The charade is not over, though, uh, as we see this tradition play out, as Mr. Wolf has to jump and grab an officer's uh, deck from a plank. Despite Riker's doubt, he makes it. At least until Riker orders the, the computer to remove the plank. Picard reminds him that it is retract plank, not remove plank. <laughs> He apologises. Mr. Data, meanwhile, is confused and asks Dr. Crusher why this is amusing. Crusher explains that one has to be spontaneous. Do something unexpected. He immediately pushes Crusher. <laughs> the rest Heel of the crew holder. are not amused <laughs> by his smile. The party is cut short when Picard receives a personal message. Troy asks him if he's alright, but he leaves the celebration abruptly. Soon after that, a distress call um, comes in and a station is under attack. 
The crew, still in their 19th century uniform, head to the bridge. The Enterprise is too late, though. Uh, Picard stands down the red alert and prepares an away team to rescue survivors and create an investigation. He's notably testy with his number one. The away team learns the situation was attacked by Romulans and finds Dr. Soren, the same old man who wanted to go back to the ribbon on the Enterprise D. Geordie and Data, meanwhile, are reviewing Data's attempts at humour. And Data begins to make a decision. He still lacks emotion, but his father has given him a chip for that purpose. Data decides to install it. Riker explains to Picard that the Romulans were looking for something, but he doesn't exactly know what. He asks Riker to contact Starfleet Command, and Riker is a little confused about that, but um, seeing as it's usually the captain's job, but he has no problem doing it. He also tells them, oh, Dr. Soren wants to speak with you, by the way. Meanwhile, in 10 forward, Data begins to explore emotion. He finds that he hates this new drink that Guided has. It is revolting. And asks very quickly for more so that he could experience that emotion again. Uh, Picard meets with the Thorin who uh, wants to return to the observatory and is rather demanding and weird about it. Picard seems affected by his speech and agrees to see what he can do. Worf explains that the Romulans were looking for trilithium, a substance that could stop all fusion in a star, at least in theory. And uh, Riker sends Geordi and Data over. The latter has just discovered humour and is distracted by laughing. To be fair, he just got a joke from seven (laughs) years ago. So he is reacting at the same speak of the average Jake Donaldson audience. Uh, (laughs) What the fuck right off, David? That came out of nowhere. (laughs) This is not fair at all. Where did that Castasur character assassination come from? He's just like, you know, he's just Um, dropping in little absolute pieces of savagery to pepper his (laughs) describing the plot with interest. I think think the problem is, Jake, Maddy is clearly the nice one, so it's always going to be me or you that cops (laughs) it. Oh, I'm flattered that you all think I'm the nice one. That's great. Uh, Anyway, um, I was very pleased with myself when I wrote that joke. (laughs) Uh, Jordi and uh, Data find a secret door and Data is still telling uh, jokes as they investigate the secret armory. Uh, Data is playing around with his tricorder and uh, Jordi is getting annoyed. Data cannot stop laughing and something is very clearly wrong. Data quickly collapses, he recovers, but warns that his relay is overloaded. Dr. Soren appears. There is a dampening field affecting the comms. He'd be happy to remove it. Oh, wait, no, he knocks Geordie out. <laughs> and this is a really, really bad time for Data to experience fear oh for the first time. He recoils as Soren points a disruptor at him. Uh, Troy comes to the captain's quarters and the captain explains the news that his brother and nephew have died in a fire. He shows some rare emotion, even crying. As Picard muses on his family history and his responsibilities towards his family, the star, the observatory is orbiting, begins to collapse. The implosion threatens to destroy everything. Data and Forge are still on board. Will and Worf go to the observatory to rescue them. Sorin, meanwhile, is, well, responsible and transmitting his codes to a Klingon vessel before firing on our heroes. Riker points out that if they don't get out, everything will be destroyed. Um, the Klingon vessel decloaks and gets Sorin and Geordie out. Riker grabs Data and Worf and all the ships escape. Turns out, this uh, bird of prey is being... Um, Captain by Lursa and Bator, the Jura And they want the weapon that Sorin has secured and orders the ship to uh, the Viridian system. 
Riker learns about Soren's background and Picard discusses him with Guinan. Guinan explains the nexus to them. The ribbon is like a tangible piece of joy. Basically, while you're in there, you can have anything you want. Um, Soren discusses the technology of the visor with Geordi, cementing his status as a dick by being <laughs> ableist. Um, <laughs> uh, Data and Picard are in stellar cartography, examining how the destruction of the star is affecting things. Data is overwhelmed by regret. Picard gets irritated and tells him to get over himself. <laughs> Data then makes the adjustment Picard wants, and we see that if Soren destroyed the Viridian Star, the, ri- the ribbon would pass through a nearby planet, and the shockwave would destroy everyone and everything in the system. Which includes some nice pre-industrial uh, civilizations for our heroes to be heroic over. <laughs> um, uh, Soren offers a chip with all the information that is needed to the two Klingon ladies, and when Soren is on the surface, he'll transmit the code. Enterprise, knowing where they've gone and that they're here, hails them. Soren wants them to be destroyed, but a 20-year-old bird of prey scout can't take the Enterprise toe-to-toe. I just want to point out that they say that out loud in this film for no particular reason relating to any future scenes. (laughs) (laughs) The two Klingon uh, women discuss terms with the captain. Captain Card says that he will go to the surface and surrender himself to the Klingons in exchange for Geordi. And once that is done, he will be their prisoner. Sorin and Picard discuss the situation. Sorin is well aware that the Enterprise cannot reliably shoot down the probes. But he's force-fielded himself, so good luck stopping him, Picard. Meanwhile, Geordi and Data forgive each other, but Lursa and Bator installed a small camera on Geordi's visor. Um, Sorin and Picard debate morality, and Sorin seems unconvinced of his different arguments. On the bridge, Data is in a good mood as he scans for the tiny little life. <laughs> it's the best um, bit of the film, Nathan. It's the best bit it of is the, the film. Best bit of the film. Me and my girlfriend spent a lot of last night trying to find a remixed version of that song as well. Tiny little life form. <laughs> it's the fact he plays the like, thing and, and Troy walks over just like, that can't be Data. That is Data doing that. <laughs> the fuck? Um, but anyway... Uh, the Klingons have discovered the shield frequency through their little um, camera and penetrate the shields as a result. Damage is serious, but Worf and Riker have a plan. Uh, using a defect in the ship's design, they force it to cloak, and as the Enterprise takes a battering, Riker destroys the enemy in a single shot. You know, which he could have fired at any <laughs> previous point, but never mind. <laughs> um... Uh, Meanwhile, on the planet, Picard realises there is a gap in the force field and begins to move to exploit it. On the Enterprise, there is a core breach in progress and it's time for saucer separation and evacuation. Which is successful, but the blast causes the saucer to begin to crash. Data swears. (laughs) Um, Yes, Data! Sorin, meanwhile, spots Picard, fires at him as the Enterprise hits the planets, begins to enter the planet's atmosphere... Sorin, however, failed to get Picard, and a fifth fight ensues in which Picard loses, and it is lame as shit. <laughs> uh, we see the energy ribbon and the missile fires. It's too late. Picard has lost. Sorin enters the ribbon, and a beautiful destruction shot follows. Uh, the next scene shows Picard, blindfolded and confused. Turns out it's Christmas! Somewhat relevantly. <laughs> um, Picard has a full family, including his and departed he's adorable. nephew. However, Picard... Uh, yes, and he's adorable. However, Picard sees the image of a star in a bauble. The image of his ancestors. This is not real. And it's not really what he wants, either. Guinan appears and begins to explain things to Picard. He realises this is a fantasy world. He doesn't need to be here. Guinan knows that Picard can go anywhere in time. 
Picard knows exactly where he wants to go. He asks Guinan for help, but this isn't really Guinan. This is just the part of Guinan that stayed in the Nexus. Picard needs help from someone who arrived here from his perspective relatively recently. Picard finds James T. Kirk. Who seems somewhat distracted by being back at his old house, and Picard struggles to convince him. Uh, Picard tells him about the way history records him, and Kirk says, that's fine with him. Galaxy owes me one. Uh, Picard follows Kirk to his bedroom, which turns out to be a stable. Um, Kirk sets out on a horse ride, and Picard pursues. Uh, Kirk realises on the horse ride that he's not scared of any of the jumps or anything. There's nothing really that matters here, so there's no fear, which means there's not a lot of anticipation for all of his adventurous pursuits. He thinks about the empty chair on the Enterprise, the place where things matters. He tells Picard, don't let them retire you. Don't let them promote you or do any damn thing that takes you off that ship. Uh, Kirk knows the odds are against them. The situation is grim. Sounds like fun. Flashback to the Enterprise cracking. Riker's calling a brace for impact and Picard trapped. Kirk and um, Picard confront Thorin. And Kirk is attacking the man and Picard going to the launcher. Picard has to change his mind to save Kirk. Sorin dematerializes the launcher but drops its control panel. Kirk charges to get it, but uh, the good doctor takes out the bridge. And I mean a literal bridge for once in Star Trek. Sorin goes for the ribbon uh, while Kirk struggles. Ultimately, Kirk is rescued but continues anyway, making the uh, leap across, grabbing the launcher. The bridge falls with Kirk still on it as Picard disables the launcher. Sorin climbs up, threatens Picard who backs off. However, Picard kind of locked the missile in place. So, um, bad luck, Sorin, as it explodes on the pad. Uh, The Nexus carries over. Picard finds Kirk and listens to his dying breath. And as he passes from life, Picard buries him with his badge. Casualties on the crashed Enterprise are light, but the ship cannot be salvaged. Data feels he can now control his feelings, but uh, he's confused. He cries when Spot is rescued. Troy assures him that the emotion trip is working perfectly. Riker and Picard dig through the wreckage to find their personal effects, and Riker notes that he always wanted a shot at the big chair. Picard thinks this won't be the last ship to bear the name Enterprise, and we're played out. Yay! Thank you, Nathan. Yeah, such a nice. Right, film. yeah, it is a nice all, film. I just want everyone's ratings on a movie out of 10, 12, or if it's like you know a star to. F minus. What what are you giving this film? Um, I'm I'm gonna give it an eight out of ten. Okay, which is like yeah. it's like a B. I, I yeah, I think it's a C plus what? B. Sorry, for me, what what are you guys talking about? This is an eight. A star film. This is an A star <laughs> film. It isn't. Holy shit! I knew you would think. I that. was not. Uh, I was not yeah. expecting this film to be actually good. Like what? Sorry, what's going on? It's good. Why, it is Star a good Trek film. films are not supposed to be actually good. And I like I'm not not talking about <laughs> yeah, AOS, but like, but like so I think I think the problem is me and Jake have seen the next film, which is fucking amazing, right? Like yeah. First Contact is okay, so yeah, fucking good. That. Insurrection and Nemesis are shit, but <laughs> they, they are normal levels of Star okay. Trek. But this is like a good film that isn't great and fantastic and there's a few pieces of lost potential that i yeah, want to bring but like up. this is but, I, but I love i still love okay, this film. yeah i guess my my 
I went in with very low expectations because it's <laughs> Star Trek. Um, it's Star Trek. <laughs> we say that far too much for a podcast that's ostensibly about being fans of Star Trek. But like, it's not sexy. It's not cool. It's nerdy and geeky, and we embrace that. And it's also at times like very plodding. And 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 you can't make a film the same way that you make an episode of TNG. And I was expecting this film to be one incredibly protracted and boring episode of TNG <laughs> because that's what the motion picture is, like the 79 yeah. one. And, you know, Wrath of Khan's a great film. But again, to a certain extent, that's also what that is. But like, no, this wasn't. I'm like, I'm, this was actually a modern sci-fi film, even though it's from 1994. I felt like I was having a yeah. good time. Mm. It was exciting. There was good action, se- like really good action sequences, especially when the Enterprise is smashing into Viridian 3. Like it was so exciting. People are getting blown left, right and center. Like the writing was good. The direction was good. It just all came together really well. It was funny. Yeah. yeah. I liked it a lot. I'm really happy. Yeah. The acting is amazing. Like a thing. So I'm going to talk about a couple of, pieces of interesting potential and interesting ideas they had in this film, which I think is is very... All of the... Like, this film suffered from executive meddling to an mm. nth degree, yeah. right? Because the... the and, and I think, in some ways, some of these restrictions really made the film very good. So, like, they insisted it be a crossover. Paramount insisted this had to be a crossover film. Yeah. And... I think that produces quite an interesting yeah. story. But their one of their early ideas which they really couldn't afford and I and like I think this would have been amazing but I totally understand why they didn't do it is in the ideal world they wanted something like the episode called Yesterday's Enterprise which features the Enterprise mm-hmm. C um getting taken out of its timeline and the Enterprise D having to with- restore it. Because that would be a true crossover film with both captains on both Enterprises. But that meant that in order to do that justice, they felt they had to have all principal actors of both ships. Yeah. And unless they did some horrifically imbalanced pay salaries, like giving Picard and Kirk massive (laughs) salaries, because they knew two (laughs) co-stars of a film wouldn't, like, would know what the other was being paid... And then basically paid all of the others like they were like very minor <laughs> parts, which would probably not secure those <laughs> actors. They could not afford to pay the salaries they would have for all they were going to pay the actors on this film or that they had paid the TOS people for the TOS films. So they just couldn't afford to do that. Um, there's loads of, there's like loads of stuff about the way they were going to do it that I think, and like, I, I really think the my problem with this film, the bit that lets us down is the ending. The end like because I sort of feel like they're gonna kill Picard. Not Picard, they're gonna kill Kirk. But really, Kirk just needed a guy that was <laughs> relatively competent to do the bits that Kirk does. So I, I think, and this is this is me stepping into my director writer do chair it, again. Do it. We should have flashed back we should have flashed back even further. And had some lines about how because the 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 bird of prey doesn't maybe it does like critically damage the enterprise or something, but basically renders it unable to destroy the to to take yeah. out the pro. Yeah. Like um and Kirk can't stop Sorin and that all goes wrong. But or 
Picard's plan um, relies on uh, being uh, the, the Enterprise being there. Anyway, what then happens is they flash back. Picard goes to stop Sorin, and knowing what he's going to do, is a bit more successful yeah. this time. But Kirk is on the oh, bridge clever. of the Enterprise, and he sacrifices he he evacuates Picard's crew and sacrifices himself and the ship to stop the missile. I just think that would be. Because I really dislike, I think they did the Enterprise a dirty in how she went down. <laughs> right? Like, that is a scout ship. It, it's like, oh, it's the flagship. And they even say it in the film. Yeah, but- it's not like me being a nerd. They're like, oh, it's the flagship of the Federation. The Klingons go, oh, we can't fight that. And Riker goes, they're trying to decide if they want to fight us or if they want to die or, or, or not. <laughs> Um, but they do they do like, put some context into that though like the yes but if you watch that sequence they shoot the enterprise once the enterprise weapons are not affected at all because they fire later and Riker just goes oh well that's that then I'm just going to maneuver out the like I'm just going to run away <laughs> like like any shots back would have been intri- like I think it's not a lack of ambition because this is quite clearly an ambitious um film because I was going to say, I think a thing that limits it is they're still, they're not ambitious, and that's not true. I think the thing that limits this film is it is still being written like it's an episode of TV, and a very good episode of a TV program yeah. with a high budget. But, you know, later episodes of DS9 will do more impressive um, battle sequences on a TV budget, and it's a, it's concurrent with this film. So it's not like the technology gets a lot better. I think it's just the executive meddling and the TV um, spectacle level is what lets this film down and it really shows in the ending. Because up until that, it's brilliant. And the thing that they really make work is the mystery plot yes. and the unravelling of they work, the whole so thing. They, like, it, that's so good. It's really, really good. I, yeah. I, I hear what you're saying, Nathan. But I just don't care. Like, I was having so much fun. <laughs> I was having so much fun. Like, the whole sequence where, like, that, it just goes on. It goes on and on and on. They're like, the Klingons are attacking them. Oh, my God. Then there's a warp core breach. Then they have to separate the ship. Then they're evacuating everyone. Then the ship's going down. Then it just keeps on going down. And, my God, it travels for about 500 miles across the surface of this planet. It yeah. hits so every much single yet. tree. To be fair. I was just like, whoa. I, I was just like having the people so who much wrote fun. Did you even know? Idea. How inertia works. <laughs> <laughs> Did you notice? I only noticed this on the like watch through this time that when the shockwave yeah. hits the planet and you see the Enterprise hold being ripped off, you can actually see figures of people evacuating oh, on damn. top of the hole. Oh, really? God, that's, cool. that's so sad. I was, when I noticed it's so sad and horrific, but it's such a good detail. Like, I don't like the way it happened, but I do appreciate that. They did a good job of showing yeah. all the destruction and blowing up, and then afterwards, when they're picking through the wreckage oh, yeah, um, of the the Enterprise D, which I I was looking this up. Um, so some we're ready to get into some real Star Trek nerd facts now. Um, that uh, a massive irony from this film is that in the expanded universe and so on, the USS Enterprise B is the longest-serving ship-named Enterprise that we know of. And the Enterprise-D, and it's the shortest screen time, it's only got 15 (laughs) minutes of this film, which we see. And the USS Enterprise-D, captured by Jean-Luc Picard, longest screen time of any Enterprise, because TNG went longer than TOS, and, and you have this film on top. 
shortest service history of any ship named Enterprise. I know what you're saying, Nathan, about Kirk's death. Sorry, Jake, just to wrap up that point before we move on. That it would have been, you're right, it would have been a more of a mirror image of captain to captain if Kirk had gone down sacrificing himself to save the entire crew of the Enterprise. Um, I was just reading about how the director... um, spent a lot of time fighting the original way that they wanted to end the film, um, which is that in the original script, Kirk was just shot in the back and just died like that. <laughs> yeah, so, so, I was so going to mention that. It is better than what they a slightly planned. more heroic death when he somewhat hilariously bounces down the side of this cliff like a free climber that's just missed his hold, yeah. which was quite funny. But I think the reason that they did that... I take what you're saying. I think that would also have been good. The reason I also liked it this way is that then you get the banter of Picard and Kirk playing off each other, um, teaming up to take down Soren, and you couldn't have had that, which I think is what ultimately we all wanted to see, right? We wanted to see Kirk and Picard have that time together, and you wouldn't have got that to the same extent if Kirk had gone and sat on the Enterprise while Picard was left to defeat Sorry yeah. himself. Having said that, I was a little bit taken aback because for some reason it had just completely passed me by that this is the film that Kirk dies in and that this is how he dies. <laughs> I just like completely had no idea. So I was like, wait, what do you mean he's dead? Wait, what? I was like, there's no way he could survive that fall, but he's Kirk. So someone was just like stood to catch him at the bottom, right? William Shatner has wrote, written a series of expanded universe novels. Amazing! Yes! And then, and then adapts Incredible. to the 24th Incredible. century. Remy's with Scotty and Spock, who are the two other surviving TOS characters, and then there are like, like to be fair to Shatner, like whatever you say about this actor, his work as an author, and I've not read any of his books, so I don't know how well written they are. But the stories are very clearly love letters yes. to Star Trek and very detailed and very because yeah. like I was looking up the details for these plot and it involves him doing stuff like teaming up with Picard to fight Mirror Universe Enterprise awesome. D and E That's and it's cool. like he it's writes like, fan yeah, fiction really about cool. himself like that is a level of self love <laughs> yeah. and self confidence that I think we can all aspire to like that level of ego is just. It's, it can only be admired. I think it's wonderful. So, yeah, I'm totally yeah, taking that. Kirk he's survived. Like the tra- Sir, Kirk, like, ripped his way out of that pathetic little cairn that Picard built him <laughs> on top of that bit of Yosemite or wherever they were. And, yeah, got out and lived. Um, yeah, I think... And also, like, I mean, the director... So, it, th- this episode was directed by someone who'd never directed a feature film before. This was their first ever feature film. Um, but he had directed... A f- Why does Star Trek always do <laughs> well, that? <laughs> well, he, he had directed a few episodes of Star Trek before. He direct, He actually... It's the same guy who directed um, Emissary, the DS9 pilot. That you hated, um, that, that, oh, that I okay. hated. Um, but, yeah. It, it, but, like, I think he's done a decent job considering it's the first time he's ever directed a film. Um, yeah. But also, like, I I like the, like, just talking about the, the death of Kirk, like, I, I like the the irony of the fact that Captain Kirk, who spends all of his time trying to get back onto a bridge, <laughs> is then killed <laughs> on a bridge. By a bridge falling <laughs> on a cliff. That's so um, good. I, That's so good. I just wanted to, um, I just wanted to, to go back and, uh, and talk about some of the sort of more like we've done we've talked a lot about the the sort of uh high level kind of opinions of the, of the film and its production and stuff like that but um 
I just want to talk about some of the individual scenes. So, like, I watched this film yeah. with my girlfriend, uh, and she's never seen a Star Trek film before. Um, so that was quite interesting to sort of get her opinions on what was going on and stuff. And she sort of maybe looks at it with a slightly more uh, critical <laughs> eye in terms of, like, not suspending disbelief as much as, yeah. as I would. Um but she did make some interesting points, starting with the very opening scene where the um, where there's a champagne bottle floating through space that they used to christen the um, the, the Enterprise. Um, wouldn't the pressure of space make that bottle explode immediately? How is that possible? That, 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 that there's no way it would exist. If you take a transparent. if you take a bag of crisps into an aeroplane, then it pops uh, up. It pops up like a, a like a pillow or something. Space isn't. Nathan's holding his hand yeah, but if he you... understands science. Go on, Nathan. <laughs> right. All glass... Well, not all glass, but the glass on spaceships, for example, in Star Trek is transparent <laughs> aluminum. It's it's transparent metal. And I assume that for the ceremonial purpose of smashing a bottle against a ship, they've used a similar material <laughs> that does smash on the impact but is not going to be ripped apart by uh, space. Possibly they've included a small charge in the bottle that won't harm the hull of the ship that will break the bottle apart. But we, Boom, yeah. <laughs> that's my headcanon. Fuck you, Okay, Jake. we've got... This is the most... Uh, this is the most invested in a headcanon that Nathan has this ever been This is going to be a ping this. pong bo- volley of Jake being like, yeah, well, what about this scene? And Nathan being like, well, actually... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> tick, 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 tick. Solved. I mean, what? Yeah, what? 15 love. Be our own buddy. Come on. Donaldson, what are your other problems? While we, uh, well, we'll come to those as we go. But, like, um, I just wanted to describe <laughs> some of the, the things that that happened as we were watching it. So, like, obviously, there's there's a it's a big... Uh, amalgam cast of loads of different people, so loads good. of really famous actors in it. You know, you've got not only Patrick Stewart, but you've obviously got uh, Shatner. Shatner and Walter uh, Koenig, uh, looking like his face has melted for some reason. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and, but and also you've you've got uh, Malcolm McDowell and yeah, Malcolm uh, McDowell, like what? And, <laughs> yeah, and uh, Malcolm. He took the job because he he. Like he was a bit like, oh, this is a bit beneath me. And then the the they they told him, yeah, your character will be responsible for killing Captain Kirk. Like, Sign me up. <laughs> he, I mean, I love the fact that he claims that he didn't want to take the role because it was beneath him. But then you look at some of the names of films that he's been in since he was in. Oh, uh, he's really gone Orange. down the pan since he did Generations. That's for sure. Right. Look. Look. Right. This. These are the names of some of the films that he was in. Right. Obviously, he was in. Uh, a Clockwork Orange, which is a great film, and he was in Caligula, which I'm told is also a very good film. But then, like, he he claimed that he couldn't do this film because of it being beneath him. Yet, before doing this film, he had been in films such such amazing and highly rated films as The Complete Beatles, <laughs> Blue Thunder, and following this film. He, he, <laughs> He was in a film in 1983 called Get Crazy, where the character he played was called Reggie Wanker. <laughs> right? Amazing. He was. He was in a film called. Uh, he was in a film called uh, The Assassin of Tsar, which like sounds absolutely. It sounds like a character from something from uh, Star Trek. To be honest, he's um, been in quite a lot of uh, erotic thriller type films. Yeah, he was in a film, the same year that he was in Star Trek Generations, he was in a film called Cyborg 3, The Recycler. (laughs) (laughs) 
he wasn't even good enough to be in Cyborgs 1 or 2, <laughs> right? Um, but also, I love the idea that Cyborg 3, the recycler, is called the recycler because it's they've just used the same plot as Cyborgs 1 and 2. I would assume it's because um, it's about an evil recycling bin. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, the my point was that we were watching it and we knew all these famous actors were going to be in it. And it comes up with the names as the um, champagne bottles flying through the space and stuff like that. Um, but we spent the entire like opening credit sequence being like, who's going to be the and? <laughs> like, who, which one? Which one's going to be the one where he's like important enough that they'll go? And, and. who was the and? It was obviously it was obviously Shatner. Oh, of course. But yeah, uh, it, yeah so he got Big to be uh, William Shatner uh, and William yeah. Shatner as Captain Kirk. You'd be, I like the fact that they had to put him in as as Captain Kirk, like, <laughs> as if he was going to be playing someone else. Like, it would be more interesting if they were like, and William Shatner, as, get this. <laughs> as, if it just said, like, Boris Smith, <laughs> everyone would be like, yeah. what? <laughs> or if they'd completely swapped it around, they'd be like, and William Shatner, as Captain Picard. And you'd be like, what? <laughs> I'd watch that, right? Um oh. I, I I really liked the um, the opening bit when you see the, the when you see the old guys uh, from TOS on the bridge mm. and uh, and they're sort of like having a bit of fun with it. Yeah, um, but can we talk about how crap the new captain was, Captain Harriman or whatever? What, Harry, Harry Harriman. Harry Harriman, like he's literally he's the captain of the Enterprise. Like show a bit of metal, man. It, like <laughs> the, the, oh, metal, metal. I can't think of the word. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, the reason his ship has a really long service history yeah, is he doesn't do anything yeah. exactly. So yeah, they exactly. like find these sh- like ships in dis- he's first of all he's like nervous about even giving the order to just like fly off into space. And then when they find these ships in the in the stuck in the nexus instead of like giving out orders and being like, "Well, Captain Kirk's on the bridge. I I should probably make a good impression of myself." He just fannies about looking really nervous and yeah. awkward like he doesn't know what to do with himself. And then eventually, he just full on gives the bridge over to Captain Kirk and I'm like, "Okay, I thought he was really letting himself down as a captain, but you've got to respect a man who like realizes when he's well out of his depth and in front of all of these reporters, it's like, you know what? I'm actually failing my first gig as captain of the Enterprise. I should just give it back to someone who knows what he's doing. Can we talk about how uh, Tuvok is on the yes! uh, just... is on the bridge? Right? Like Tuvok. Tim Ross appears so many times I, in Star Trek. Literally, because I could see him in the Tuvok. background, and I was like, "Wow, yeah. I didn't realize this was also a Voyager crossover." <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the, the Tim Russ who plays Tuvok in Voyager turns up in loads of the uh, the TNG <laughs> films, just in the background as random because he's a massive track. And in and in one of my favourite episodes, which is Die Hard on the <laughs> Yeah, which we will do at some point. Yeah, um, so good. But, it's such a good uh, yeah. episode. But I I I. I loved Tuvok being there. I know he's not Tuvok, but that's my headcanon for the film, is that it, it is actually Tuvok. Undercover as a human. Uh, no, that it can't be. It, no, no, I think you'll find actually <laughs> Tuvok served on the uh, USS Excelsior at this point, no. uh, under Captain Sulu. Okay, it's well, his human might... half-brother. He's like Michael and Spock. He's got a human twin that just... Yeah, exactly. And then... Oh, uh, yeah. there we and go. So okay. whenever, yeah, and so, whenever... And, and as we know... That means that whenever Tuvok <laughs> ejaculates, Tuvok's 
human brother who this is, is like on the board least this. sexy of the Star Trek films you've already got there. What do you right? mean it's the least sexy of the Star Trek films? Have you seen Picard in his tight captain's pants when he's on the ship? I was literally that just was a point explaining that we made to up. you guys this morning how upset I was that my dad won't reference this podcast in his annual Christmas letter because it's so inappropriate and now you're already talking about spaffing again. Yeah. Yeah, Mr. Churchhouse, why won't you involve us in your life? That's not fair. Right. Yeah. We'll we'll come down we'll come round to your house on Christmas and do a live episode of the podcast. Oh, I would do that so put it in the letter. I, I, like the next my dad note that I've so made unhappy. in my I mean, I mean, we can we can try not to talk about dicks and stuff for your dad's sake if you want, but I'm just going to tell you that the next note that I've made in my notes just says Picard's cock is clearly visible. So, <laughs> oh, it is oh, when he's wearing the old-fashioned like uh, britches and that, and then he comes back onto the the I, bridge. I, I, to try and get us on to track uh, back onto track a bit, I'm glad you watched this with Jade actually, because one of the things I was thinking about is perhaps another limitation of this film for a general audience is a lot of it hits harder if you've watched Next Gen. Specific bits of it where you learn where the emotion chip comes yeah. from and the Lursa and Beto, but I don't even think you need to know who they are to get stuff out of it. But I think if you have seen TOS and or TNG you get loads more out of this and, and there's a lot of stuff that now I watch this film and I'm like well up to speed and I yeah. it's not that I don't think they explain it because I think they get the concepts across relatively efficiently in this film yeah. uh, like the emotion chip like I can remember that I hadn't watched the episode that was in when I first watched this film but I got the basic idea yeah, yeah, yeah. because it I is mean, called an emotion chip it was quite, like, you know. it was quite interesting but I did wonder if it would like a lot of the fun and the because a lot of the fun and and it's a really fun film in a way that I don't think we see in modern Star Trek as as much as I'd like anymore because because it's not just there are some funny moments it runs through from the from the way Scotty and Chekhov take the piss mm-hmm. out of Captain uh, Kirk because like he gives the order to go out on the bridge at the insistence of everyone there and the the reporters recording him and Scotty goes oh. Uh, beautiful uh, captain it's got uh, Chekhov goes brought a tear to the eye and, <laughs> and then you've got then you've got like data all the way through with oh, his emotion data. chip and you've got like the Gorgeous banter between man. like Picard and Kirk is on point it's like the odds are against us and the situation is grim yes <laughs> sounds like fun <laughs> this, yeah, this film was consistently really humorous um, it is all the way through. I have I have some thoughts on various bits about that, but like if we're going to go through this film chronologically, the next scene that we have to talk about is obviously the scene when they're on like the SS, the HMS Enterprise, and they're all dressed up in their like hornblower getup, and it's so wonderful, and they all look so good. And doesn't so Troy, good. Troy and Beverly look amazing? I'm like, come on, I'm sorry, but. The Navy was really missing a trick not letting women like serve yeah, on exactly. ships during during the Napoleonic War because they looked incredible and, in and those breaches. Oh my god. And I and I think this really sets up a good strength of this film is the What the lack of female place. characters in it. <laughs> no, that scene really shows I think a big part of this obviously this film's big underlying message is all to do with time and legacy and moving on and that kind of thing. But a lot of the very personal 
stakes of it are set up, uh, of, of plots and subplots are set up so well because characters have meaningful human interaction and mm. development in them. And like, you know, Picard of the start of TNG wouldn't do this kind yeah. of pissing about silliness with his crew. He's too stoic for it. And he still has that stoicism because he still doesn't want to tell his crew this personal tragedy that's affecting him. But he is now prepared to faff around with them. <laughs> and then you have the, like, you know, the the Geordie, like, you know, I watched a really good, there's an extended version of this scene that I, I, I watched on YouTube not long afterwards. And in the extended version, uh, pretty much as we see it, up to the push-in. And then Geordie goes over, and he's like, that wasn't funny. It's like, but I was trying to... And, like, Geordie tries to explain to him why it's not funny. But then a really, really good bit that happens is you see Worf climb up, and, like, Riker laughs at him, and Worf <laughs> looks annoyed, but, like, all is forgiven. And then Crusher gets up, and Data, quite obviously, like being a bit socially anxious, offers a hand and she just mouths <laughs> <laughs> in like a very angry looking redhead way. And um, then you cut to the the not long after that you obviously get the scene where Geordie is like Data is like, is she still angry? And Geordie is like, Well let's stay on sick bay for a bit. <laughs> um I mean I know I, I sort of briefly made a little joke there about the lack of female characters in this, and it, that is an issue with the film, but obviously it, it was made in 1994, and, you know, I know... Not an excuse! Yeah, Look, they, yeah, I know it's I, not an excuse. I, I, but I will like, give it, because I feel like they they what they actually didn't do is in this film is, like, introduce loads of new characters who also aren't women. They just stuck with all of the cast that they yeah. already had who happened to not yeah. be women well, so I, that's I, what I was I going to say sure yeah. film. and they, you know they did have the, the Klingon I, sisters but um, <clears throat> yeah and I think the nature of the film means that all of the not captain not data right like there's room for Kirk Picard and in this case data but like one other character to be really explored like Riker does obviously the battle commanding, but that's mm -hmm. just him in his role. He's not got anything yes. much interesting to do as a character. Yeah. Worf gets his promotion other than that. They could have done with some character scenes. I think maybe if you're looking for a place to give the ladies more to do, there's the, the counsellor scene with Picard yeah. is really good, but I would have liked to see something... Because they have, like, Picard gives a testy order to Riker twice. Mm. I would have liked to see Beverly talk to Picard because they have yeah. a history and sometimes she approaches him on a more personal yeah. well, level. I would have liked to see... Because I think it's Crusher that's really yeah. underused. Troy at least is on the bridge and she is the one crashing the <laughs> <laughs> Yes, um, Troy. Yeah, but you do see Crusher, yeah, I think... Uh, women drivers, <laughs> eh? <laughs> you see Crusher. I think she... I really liked the scenes towards the end where Geordie and Crusher are saving like evacuating people like Geordie is like carrying mm. toddlers over his shoulder and it's gorgeous and like like trying to you know with his engineering um helper lady trying to stop them from being killed and and Beverly's like getting all of her patients set up and um evacuating them and um I really did like that and I think Whoopi Goldberg as well in this is just again like she's yeah. consistently excellent but she's really good yeah. in this like she's really really good yeah. she yeah 
She should have been the Anne. Guinan pretty much last appearance of uh, Guinan because her scene in Nemesis was cut mm. along with all the other oh, good scenes. Uh, <laughs> look, we'll, we'll talk about Nemesis another time, yeah. Nathan. I mean, you can get on an angry rant about it. Um, you you yeah, mentioned, but, you just but... mentioned the episode, uh, or oh, sorry, the the scene with the counselling where Troy and Picard are talking to each other, um, and Picard admits that he's just found out that his nephew's burned to death in God, a fire. So and, shit, and then. And then Troy says something along the lines of, oh, I didn't realise he meant so much to you. And it's like, you're supposed to be fucking psychic, Deanna. <laughs> Again, Deanna Troy, never useful as an she's empath. She's rubbish. Like, that was one of the things that Jane kept like, bringing up. Like, is that she, she's, but also, I laughed all the way through that scene, even though he, he, was he was describing the fiery death of most of the line of his family. Yeah, I kept laughing because of how bad like, Deanna know, Troy is Renee at is her a job. Child. You were laughing yeah, at but the death of the also, child, Also, I'm Jake, sorry. Renee. Imagine if your, your nephew has died in a fire and then someone's reaction to you like having the slightest tear in your eyes being like, oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realise he meant that much to you. I'm like, what? He's... He's a relative who's just died in a fire. Like, how much does he have to be to me? Like, what are you talking about, Troy? Exactly. So being being an emotionless android that I am and having no empathy, I didn't pick up on it. Um, you were just like, oh, uh, that's an interesting character development. <laughs> well, I, I was literally about to say, I find it an interesting character development, that. Uh, well, no, I find it an interesting narrative choice that they chose to have the family die in a fire because they could have done, like, like a, a shuffle shock. accident. People could have died in any kind of weird-ass... Getting ejected from an airlock, having slime mould enter their ear and take over their brain and make <laughs> yeah, them jump off a cliff. But, like, but having them die in a fire in that very sudden, very like, and and I really like the way they deliver it. Is that Picard's just out there? He's miles away, and he just learns there has been a fire. They are dead. There is nothing he can do about it. And I think it really brings home this idea of Next Gen as being a series where the characters are real people and a fire is people dying in a fire is a thing that i mean thank god it has never happened to me or anyone that i know what you've uh, never died I'm, in a fire unless I, well unless you've i'm never lived. right now <laughs> um but it is something that yeah. happens yeah. in in our world and i and i like yes. that choice i did not pick on pick up on deanna but... troy's shit counseling <laughs> because i'm used to deanna troy's shit counseling and her and her stuff where it's like um, it's like I am angry and I will destroy you. I'm sensing hostility. <laughs> yeah, fucking thanks, yeah. Diana. There, yeah. really, there is a the, great, the greatest trick the devil ever pulled is convincing us that Diana Troy actually has psychic I know. She powers. Bull she bullshitted her whole CV, didn't she? She was like, she fluttered her eyelashes and was like, you know, you know, um, like Elle Woods, like her CV for getting into Harvard when she's like, you know, I am familiar with all of the important legal terms. I object, you know, and then <laughs> Deanna's like, I'm very familiar with how to be an empath. And then she's like, a picture of a crying child. And she's like, I sense that you are sad. And they're like, yours, yours, yours. <laughs> Maddie, have you just managed to acquire one of the greatest Star Trek, one of the greatest sci-fi series in the world that's ever existed with the film Legally Blonde. Yeah, one of the best rom-coms to ever have existed. <laughs> I mean, come on, they're both excellent. Like, Elle Woods is a hero and we should all aspire to be like her. But yeah, on the topic of the fire, there's something about the banality of it um, and the fact that, yeah, it, it it's 
it's such a it's like it, it is it's really banal and i think that kind of was the point that there there's that loss of control and that lack of um mm. the the message at the end of the film that picard gives is you know time is precious enjoy every moment because once they happen they don't happen again and when you die what you leave behind is not as important as what you actually did while you were living Mm. and and the choices that you made while you were alive which i think is a really important message and i just think that that for me summed up the fact that consistently this film thematically was very consistent um it was very I, I can't think of the right word, but there there was a there was a, a theme all the way through that you could sense that was actually being subtextually written into all of the different plot lines, and I th- which was very well done. And I think from the perspective of the narrative, we briefly mentioned at the beginning, but I kind of want to touch on it before we go too further into like nitty gritty details. Mm-hmm. The the way that the plot develops is very very organic. It's very well written. There's very little exposition. You're about forty five minutes in before you realize before it kind of you find out unless unless you've guessed ahead which of course you can do but before the film is in and of itself telling you what's happening that Soren is you know blowing these things up to make this nexus thing come towards him all of these pieces are there for you to work out but they reveal themselves very naturally one by one and there's no one just shoving information down your throat to make the plot obvious and I really 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 like that because it gives a sense of mystery and entertainment where you're being swept up and you're taken along for the ride and there's not it doesn't dumb it down for the viewer. There's the expectation that you as a viewer, actually, you are going to have to pay attention when they're flipping between Kirk on the Enterprise (laughs) to a fucking Napoleonic warship on the high seas to suddenly a whole different crew in a different timeline to obvious time travel with no explanation. People, you know, you are expected to pick it up at a rapid pace. And I actually appreciate that because I think that one of the worst things you can do as a director is treat your audience like they're thick i really really dislike that and i think that this struck a balance for me where i think if i was unfamiliar entirely with star trek i wouldn't have felt the same emotional resonance but i think that's but it was you'd have followed the the film i would have enjoyed the film i wouldn't have had the same amount of emotional resonance but i think that's also a trade-off that is important to make given the legacy that star trek has like if your film is not more enjoyable to people who actually invest in it than what's the point. But it was also yeah. clever enough and fun enough that like you can be entertained even if you don't have any kind of links to these characters before you hop on board. Yeah, well, well, like I said, I watched it with my girlfriend and she'd not watched any Star Trek before, really. Um, she listens to this podcast, so she had a bit of an idea of some of the uh, of the sort of tropes and stuff, but she said she enjoyed it still and, uh, and like she was able to follow it without needing explanation mm. of who the characters were yeah. or anything there was one bit where because she, because she's listened to this podcast um but she didn't know any of the characters when data turned up for the first scene um she uh, looked at me and went oh is this that data prick that you keep talking about or something along those lines i think she described him as a wet lettuce a wet lettuce um, oh how dare she he's a soft and but, um, sweet person i would i would like to talk about the excellent B movie villain actor. No, no, no. We're not moving on from that until I've said my. Oh piece. right, Thank okay. You. you know who you are, Jake's girlfriend. We will have words. <laughs> She's here now. If you want to talk to her. <laughs> uh, no, we, 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 
we'll do that off, <laughs> off recording because it will upset uh, Maddie's dad. What the words that I will say? Oh, I've got some more <laughs> stuff that's going to upset you. Maddie's dad in a minute. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, well, well you upset Tell Maddie's dad if... first because I'd like Maddie's dad to like me. The, the oh, I, I just wanted to. Yeah, I wanted to talk about the excellent B movie villain acting that we get from Malcolm McDowell in this film. Yes. Um, yes. Like. I would like to draw attention to uh, the scene where he's just kidnapped uh, Geordie and he's got the he's doing like something weird with his yeah. visor. Why is then, it so um, kinky? Why what what is uh, the purpose of having Geordie like stripped to the waist and then kind of like sweatily strapped up in loads of leather straps yeah. and then he's like straining but, at the straps and it's very German sex dungeon. Nathan is raising his well, hand again. I, I, can I just no, make the point that I was going to make, which is the the bad bit, of, the, some of the worst dialogue in this film is like the weird arch villain dialogue yeah. that they have him say. And there's this, there's a bit in that where um, he's talking about the visor and he says, "Oh, it's very interesting uh, and technologically advanced, but it's not very stylish." And uh, and then he says, w- "Wouldn't you prefer something that makes you look a bit more more?" And then he pauses for dramatic effect and then just says. More normal. Uh, you're and you're an like, you alien. didn't even try. You're you didn't even alien, try, mate. mate. What are you talking about? <laughs> normal. What is this ableist bullshit? Like, come on. They literally have it's like they have like multi-headed aliens running around on the Enterprise, and you think this guy is quote abnormal, unquote, because he wears because he looks like Cyclops, which is fucking dope. Like But it's not it's not even that though, it's the fact that he, he says more and then he looks like he's trying to pick a better <laughs> word to like not be offensive even though he's a villain he's kidnapped this guy he's like oh but i wouldn't want to upset the blind yeah, man it's like, Sorry, and then he darling, just goes more normal I know you like that shirt but um what did you like to change into something a little bit more uh, a little bit more normal when you go out of your friends like that's how it came across <laughs> yeah it, but like that, that's the sort of that sets the the standard of ridiculous B movie acting that that you get from him in this film, and I love it's it. Good. I love it's very Malcolm corny, McDowell. but in like a kind of Th- that's yeah. that's the reason I managed to get my girlfriend to watch it with me is because uh, Malcolm McDowell's her favourite actor in the oh, world, wow. and uh, so so we watched it because, partially because of him. But um, like, there's loads of ridiculous, like him glaring with those ridiculous big blue eyes <laughs> he's, he's got. got that. There's one of my notes. This will upset your your dad again, Maddie. But one of the notes just says, "I definitely let Malcolm McDowell shag my mum." <laughs> Um, but like, it, it's. Uh, I mean, there's also a bit when when he... increase the uh, upsetting Maddie's uh, dad counter. <laughs> like, of my dad's blood pressure the, as it rises. Uh, there's a lot of ridiculous. Well, speaking of things rising, there's a lot of there's lots of ridiculous. I mean, this sounds like it's going to be about penis, but for the first time, it's not. Uh, I was just going to talk about him in his weird little black jumpsuit. Yeah climbing up and down ladders <laughs> looking like a weird little rat man uh, and like it just we just kept giggling at the way he climbed up the ladders like he looked like a shit spider-man it was really funny in, in, in true star trek tradition the fight sequence isn't good oh yeah it's bad it's, bad. it's classic bad fist fighting um yeah uh, but what i was gonna say why is geordie strapped up like that two reasons um, again, they cut a bit of an extended scene where, or an original idea was um, the way um, he tortured Geordie was to inject Borg-style nanites into God. his heart and then stop and start <gasps> his heart Jesus. repeatedly. But it was quite high budget and quite horrifying for absolutely yeah, no yeah. narrative <laughs> gain, so they didn't do that. 
And the other reason is they had all of those props from the episode of TNG where um, uh, Jordy is kidnapped and they put a camera <laughs> in his body. Because, <laughs> you know... You know, the exact same like, part that's of the other reason. That's the other reason the, the Bird of Prey thing really irritates me, is that they borrowed that plot, and then the Bird of Prey is defeated the same way that um, the Bird of Prey is defeated in um, Voyage... Not Voyage Home. Uh, Undiscovered Country. Mm. Where they force it to cloak and then they blow it up because its shields are down when it's cloaked. Like it's it's just uh, it just annoys me that. But we're not we're not talking about yeah. that. Yet, so I will I will free well, I, will, I will save a bit. We'll more. we'll we'll have to wrap up shortly. But there are still some more important things to talk about. I mean, um, are we doing it, a double episode on this? Because I've got so much more to say that we've not covered yet. Oh really? Have you? Because I don't. Oh, you don't. <laughs> running out oh my god there's so yeah there's so much i want also, to say i think we just do a long episode yeah it could just be a slightly uh, longer maddie one, gets yeah. to say some of her things yeah because uh, i still have a couple of things I i've got say. a few things yeah uh, but they're mostly like silly things like also we haven't talked about data's life form song enough yet so <laughs> <laughs> well let's talk about yeah. it because there's a couple of observations i want to make i really like the emotion ship sequence i really like the uh i, I really think I really like the scene in Ten Forward where it's, um, or is, like, I believe it's promoting an, uh, an emotional response. What, what are you feeling, Data? Well, because I haven't had an emotion before, I am having difficulty articulating the response. Well, it looks like you hate it. Yes, that is it! I hate this! Yeah. It is revolting. More? Please! <laughs> and, like, he's, he's, because it's such a good sequence. It is, it, it perfectly, like, identifies what it would be like to gain emotions you're just confused and you've no idea and we do the light funny side of that with the humor and the disgust first and then we go into some really dark and really interesting places where data you know experiences fear so he's not able to do it and they and they follow up on this in uh, first contact when um picard and data are advancing on the borg who have attacked the ship and they're, they're going for this mission and Picard is clearly quite anxious, and Data starts talking about anxiety. He goes, this is unusual, Captain. The emotion chip is giving me anxiety, fear, apprehension. And Picard goes, I'm sure this is a fascinating experience for you, Data, but in the uh, interest of the mission, it might be better if you deactivate the emotion chip for the time being. He goes, agreed. And then he like tilts his head and it turns it off, and he goes, and then he just returns to like a stoic thing, and he goes, <laughs> done sir and uh, Picard goes Mr. Data I envy you <laughs> but uh, that aside like I really like this and then it goes into more serious stuff with the fear and the apprehension and Picard's response is yes there are lots of people on the ship that experience because Picard is experiencing massive yeah. personal trauma and what what da- he's not saying Data's feelings are invalid or shut up I've got it worse but he is saying this happens you're gonna have yeah. to deal with it like I can't. Well, yeah, that's the just not have yeah. you be. Yeah, here. that's the whole point of that section when they're in fucking Cerebro it or whatever is, it is. It's Star Cerebro um, and it's awesome. Yeah, it is. I, that's my head cannon as well. That, that, that this is, is where I mean Picard literally Picard is Professor, Professor X, X. So like, yeah, I think that Professor X is like one of the like the ancient uh, sort of. Uh, what do you call them? Like ancestors of Picard. Yes, and in his family like tree that... when he was like, one of my family members, you know, won a Nobel Prize. One of them ran a school for gifted youngsters gifted... outside Westchester yeah, exactly. County. 
um, yeah, but but that whole scene in in what I'm now going to call Cerebro is uh, is basically what you were saying there. Like, it, it's about it. It shows Picard being a really good captain as well, um, and mm. uh, and a good friend to Data, but also it it's sort of it's the first time that Data gets kind of uh, reprimanded for anything. Uh, but has the capability of understanding or f- having a, an emotional reaction to being reprimanded. Um, so it, I think I, th- I thought that was an interesting dynamic that they chose to explore, uh, and they did it quite well. Yeah, Data's entire arc in this film is like, there's the character arc of him learning to use his emotion chip, but there's also the fact that he is just relentlessly played for comedy and him and Geordie are basically the chuckle brothers of this film um just <laughs> constantly having like silly banter and every time it you know Brent Spiner really goes to the town on the face acting like the silly faces he pulls when when Dave is having emotions that... for the first time and it's very very corny and I feel like if you find data slightly annoying or you dislike data you're going to fucking hate sitting through those scenes but if you <laughs> like data you're going to be like yes yes give me more however i really liked uh brent spiner's face acting when the emotion ship malfunctions and <laughs> yes! collapses briefly yes. because you because it goes from this laughter to this like i thought his face was rippling like, i was like how is he doing that yeah like it's impressed like Brent Spiner really he he is two talents that he doesn't get a lot of chance to show off as data is his ability to vocalize he can really change his voice yeah. when he wants to in fact I don't even think data is his natural voice because he's got quite mm. a, a thick um, accent, American accent I don't know what part of America but I've heard him speak at other times and it's a bit more uh, you can definitely change that he changes it but um, and he can do that impression of uh, Patrick Stewart. Yeah. And he's done lots of different accents and um, voice acting, and he can do a lot of face acting. He can really change his face when he wants to, um, which he sometimes gets to do in uh, like funny ways on TNG when he's malfunctioning or something, and his like face just like falters. <laughs> yeah. Like he just like shoots. I can, there's one scene where he like half his face just deactivates, like. By accident, because someone's trying to repair it, but he goes. (laughs) (laughs) The only thing about that that I didn't like, and I did feel slightly uncomfortable with this all the way through. Nathan, you can tell me as our resident autist on the podcast. I felt like there was this weird Mm -hmm. undertone that of like data needing this emotion chip to actually experience humanity properly that just didn't feel actually applicable to data's life like at the beginning when when wharf falls in the drink and it's hilarious and then data pushes bev off in in the water and it's like it's actually also really funny and obviously as an audience it's it's put in as a joke and you as an audience laugh at it and then the rest of the crew is like data that wasn't funny and i'm like Hang on a minute. Yes, it was. That that was objectively very funny. We all laughed. Like, there's no difference from that and Worf. Like, why would you not have found... I found it really, really strange and quite... Like, that's just bad writing. But, like, in character, it was really bizarre how they suddenly all turn on Data. And then Bev is a right old cow about it. Like, acting all offended. What? Because he got her hair wet. And then Geordie's like, oh, you might not want to go into sickbay for three days. Three days? Like, I mean, come on, get yeah. over yourself. And poor Data is sent into such a spiral by Bev taking a... Ju- like, being a Debbie Downer and, like, 
definitely being in the wrong that then he like almost has a bit of a breakdown and he's like i've got to have this emotion chip because i've been trying to learn about human emotions for 34 years and yet i still do not understand such a simple com like simple concept as humor hang on a minute humor a is not simple and b is not objective like so that <laughs> that's just wrong all of that was wrong and i was like no data should not like no data you do get humor yeah. it just seemed dodgy to me i didn't like it i i think i i think i get where you're coming from but i didn't feel that way for a couple of reasons one one you don't have feelings because <laughs> i don't have feelings obviously um but um no because earlier in tng when in the episode he gets this emotion chip law kind of steals it's intended for data and law steals it and then lords it over data that he's got superior emotions. Like, and and a lot of data's thing is, no, I can still be what my father and what I've chosen to be without that. Thank you. And so it genuinely feels like this is a choice he's considered and thought over. And it fuses with his neural net, so he can't remove it. But, you know, we later see that he mm-hmm. can deactivate it and he chooses mm-hmm. to live with it. So I don't feel... That, but that is me knowing yeah. some extra context outside the film. So I don't know how much you want to judge the film by other other Star Trek stuff before and after it. Because before we see him pointedly reject, and now he decides to try it. And then later we see that he can turn it off, but chooses to have yeah, it on. Yeah, I mean, that makes time. it less but, uh, problematic for me. But in the context yeah, of just this but... film, it was like mm. one bad joke that actually wasn't that bad and... I literally have no idea where everyone was ragging on at Data about that. <laughs> yeah, but I... <laughs> like, I, making I'm him feel like an outsider like, again? Like, come on. I didn't feel... I didn't feel like... I don't know, I didn't pick up on that. I didn't feel like it was... Because a big problem for me, for a long time, um, it was something that prevented me doing comedy for a little while, was when I was younger, I really struggled to understand humour. I really struggled to understand why when I did certain jokes or said certain things, it was funny. And when it wasn't, and I had this big complex of feeling like people were laughing mm-hmm. at me, not right. with me. Because cause it felt like to me, whenever I tried to be funny, I wasn't. <laughs> and whenever I did something funny that was a mistake or something, people were laughing mm-hmm. at my failure. And it took a long time of learning and stuff. So I don't I don't know. Like, I'm not the best judge of whether that... Like, it's obviously funny in the film, but I think a lot of it is... A lot of the humour of the film comes out of the cast's reaction, not Data's mm. action. They, like, we've done the falling in water joke once. Um, but... Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I just I, I if we're if we're going from the autism reading, I don't really think there's a problem with it because mm. I kind of identified with him and and a chip for data. It, like it's an upgrade. Like it's not like a. It's not as though someone's tried to fix him. It's something that he gets his friend to help with, and he still has to learn and develop. Like, and I think the message of the emotion chip thing is that like data's first thought when he's getting that emotional thing is this will fix it i'll understand jokes mm. i'll be able to do it and it'll it'll fix and and i very much identify with that as an autistic person i was like if i just understand this thing be fine yeah. then social interaction solves forever and uh, <laughs> as even neurotypical people know you cannot solve social interaction forever 
Um, what he decides by the end of the film is it's a continuous learning process. So I really, I actually quite like okay, that. Okay, good. That that puts it in but, you know, more. I, I see where you're coming in from. More like grounded context for me. That makes me like feel it yeah. better about it. Yeah. I don't think you're wrong though. I think those problems are like I'd never really thought about it, but I think. Um, the, I, I would like to move on to the scene where. After the saucer separation, they <laughs> yes! then crash land into a planet. Amazing. Um, first of all, I have a question. Um, why, why does no starship in Star Trek history ever have seatbelts? Oh my god! Like, they, yeah. Why uh, does they Riker cr- sit they crash in the chair and everything flies all and over the place? It's like they haven't even nailed any. Yeah. They haven't even nailed anything they down. That, but it it's the like they're on little office chairs. Um, on that note, I, uh, can I just say that that scene really impressed me with Riker? Um, I think I've like actually not seen him do that much first officering in the TNG episodes I've watched mm. so far because um, they've been centered on other characters. But he was really. Like that whole sequence of him overseeing the ship, like running from the Klingons and then the disc separating and then crashing into the planet. I was like, oh my God, I actually, for the first time I felt like, wow, okay, I really believe in this guy as a, as a excellent first officer and a, and a fantastic, you know, could be captain. And and uh, they really help that by contrasting it with the Klingon ship. So when the Klingon ship is winning, yeah. they're just reveling it and taking yeah. their time. Like they are, they are just like fire at will, <laughs> which you know is you know fire at will. Yeah. Who's will? Do you think yeah. Will Riker? That, and also, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> do you think they specifically mean Will Riker? <laughs> yeah, but they, well, they do because they they're about to target the bridge, and then and then when it starts going wrong, they're immediately panicking, and you see Will on a on a devastated starship. Um, just go yes fire so good. and it's so like chill like it's there, there is a lot of like I love um, Will Riker in in battles is one of my like biggest star uh, Star Trek like nerd things like there's the episode where the Borg kidnap Picard he uh, he has this really cunning strategy where they're like but Picard knows all of our tactics and Riker's like yeah he does doesn't he <laughs> So what he does is to mask his unconventional plan. He just does entire throughout the entire battle. All you see him do is go is, is like perform Riker Beta two. <laughs> and he goes Riker Beta, and, and Wesley is just like there, being like, "All right, Riker Beta two. And it's like the uh, Borg ship is uh, ignoring the saucer section and uh, engaging a tractor beam. And Riker went just at the moment that Riker, like the the fil- the episode reveals Riker's true plan. Riker just goes, as you should, Captain, as you should. And it's just like, he's so good at those lines. <laughs> um, I also wanted to ask, um, why does, in, when Picard goes into the into the vortex or whatever they call it, um, the, the Nexus, Nexus, yeah, which just makes me think of the Tyne and Weir Metro, by the way. Um, True. But when, when Picard goes into the Nexus and he's in his dream world and whatever right and he, he's in the christmas place oh it's and so yeah and everything it's lovely but why does picard's dream life not involve electricity yeah why is picard's like, dream life in the antebellum south like it's so bizarre yeah. like well, it's like meet me in saint louis think, in, that, in his in his in his christmas world i think the reason he realizes he doesn't want this so quickly is it's a very like shit life constructed <laughs> well it's a very constructed fantasy mm-hmm. like the the idea of the idyllic wife and children and i think he very quickly like it's not stated but i think he very quickly realizes 
his children don't really have personality beyond being his children, and his wife doesn't have a personality beyond being his wife. And Picard, being a good feminist, Jake, um, doesn't appreciate um, the like passive, submissive, like caricature of a wife the Nexus has produced. And it's the same thing that like Kirk realizes very quickly as well when he gets on his horse. It's just like, oh, yeah. This is exactly what I thought I wanted, but like I know it will all go swimmingly or however I want. There'll be no yeah. like, no conflict. You know, the the woman I'm going to pursue is not going to be interesting I mean, at c- all. Can we talk um, about Kirk in the next? Uh, can we finish and, talking uh, about Picard in the yeah, next first? Because I just want to say that P. Stew's acting throughout this film absolutely wrecked me like he was so good from the moment on the hms enterprise where he gets the message that is and you find out that he's well you don't find out and that's again just good writing in this film you don't find out what the message Mm. is but you just see the look on his face to you know to him grappling with soren um to the moment where he where he gets into the nexus and the look on his face where he realizes and he says like these are my children i was crying like a baby. It was just so <laughs> the, lovely, like so so lovely, and I was is, heartbroken it, for him. I was absolutely devastated for him. The re- the mo- the moment he realizes that he actually has to leave, and he and he puts his hands on his nephew's shoulders and is like, "Renee, you go on without me." I was like, <laughs> "It is lovely." Like his acting in the whole film is excellent. It's always one of the strongest things about TNG in general. Is is how charismatic like, Peace Stew is. Yeah, and how how much he throws himself into yeah. it because he's a. We've talked about this before. He's a trained actor. He, he <laughs> thought it was a bit below him, but he still throws yeah. himself into it as if it's the most important yeah. Hamlet it's, he's it's ever done. Probably his single biggest talent as an actor is that anything he can yeah. deliver with conviction. Yeah. Because I think, like you know, against Malcolm McDowell's B movie villain, well, yeah, like that's that what I was going to say, where they where they discuss the like um, various like you know. Reasons to not murder a bunch of people. <laughs> Picard, but the only reason that scene works is because Picard is being very convincing, but very, you know, I think mm-hmm. almost by the book. Like you're like, oh, these are the tactics of the trained negotiator. Yeah. Um, the um, you know. I, I think one of the notes I've written is like because uh, there was a point when they were when Picard was talking to Soren, um, and I was like, oh, is this uh, is this is some of Peace Jew's acting ability rubbing off on uh, on McDowell in this scene, and then I've written down: Is it good acting or is it just whispering? Because <laughs> th- there is an element in this film of just them whispering at each other, and that coming across like it's yeah, exactly. But but there, uh, you know, I might be being a little bit facetious, but I think generally the acting in this film is better than I've seen it in a lot of other Star Trek. Mm. Uh, and even the minor characters in this, like Troy and uh, and Crusher, the act their acting in this is much better than in Sub Rosa, for yeah. example. I mean, even um, Will Shatner, like you were just going to bring him yeah, up. Yeah, he does a decent Will job. Will Shatner yeah. does a decent comic turn as Kirk, and it is actually yeah. very funny. He's like, I think at the, yeah, I think at this point he's quite self aware of the tropes of yes. him being a bit of a ridiculous actor, he's and so he, them, he plays he? on that. Really yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the fact that when you first see him in the Nexus, he's <laughs> he's, he's stood there chopping wood. <laughs> he's tr- he's chopping wood like, like a good I was Canadian getting, which, he is. 
I was getting uh, flashbacks to uh, Incubus at that point because that's <laughs> we, we when we first see him and Incubus is chopping oh, wood God, as well. Yeah. But, yeah, but, but I that's just, that's how we know that he's manly. Yeah. That's how we know that he's he's this well, yeah. alpha male. Of course, he needed to character. he needs to establish his virility because he knows he's getting on a little bit at this point. But he's like, I'm still Captain Kirk. Well, I should be chopping wood, and like he's got a good swing arm. Like, let's not you know like diss yeah, him. He does he, it. He's, it's good. I couldn't chop that wood like that. I'd just be throwing the axe all yeah. over the place. I'd have killed Picard because the axe would have gone into him. But I also, I mean. Did you notice that he's got a bat left on his wall in the no, background in that I totally house that he's in? It's just, no, I didn't it's just like one or, one or two shots you can see in the background Excellent. above his fireplace where someone might have, like, you got know, a, a mounted... Or a sword. Yeah, something like that. He's got a Klingon bat, bat left just on the wall, like a sort of, like, weird, creepy kind of... Nice. I don't know. I don't understand why it's there. I think he should have put <laughs> like, one of those Vulcan Vulcan things with the you know dumbbells on the end. He should have put one of them on there. Oh, that they used to fight in a mock in, time. Um, yeah. In a mock time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that would have been great. I love when he's like, "Oh, there's something missing," and Picard's like, "For God's sake!" And then it just cuts to a toaster that's like, "Ping!" And then Kirk's yeah. like, "That's it." <laughs> Yeah, so I love like Kirk ordering Picard to go and get some chives <laughs> out of the cupboard yeah, or whatever dude. it is. <laughs> Behind the oregano. <laughs> oregano, you fuck <laughs> <it>. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but then I like I like his, um, like, again, the banter between Picard and Kirk once they're doing the action. Because there's very little briefing time. It's not like Picard and Kirk can discuss it. It's powered plan, but I love the, like... Uh, I thought you were going to the lodger. Change my mind, yes. Captain. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, but then, towards the end of that whole sequence, you get um, "Good luck, Captain." And Jim is just like very matter of fact, like "Call me Jim," and you almost see Picard go, "Oh, yeah, I could call yeah. him Jim." Yeah. Uh, and and the other bit of Will Shatner's massively improved acting <laughs> is that when he is dying, the oh my, yeah. that he says it, like. Because cause they just let, apparently they just let Will, they said, what do you want Kirk's final words to be? What do you think his reaction to his realising he's about to die would be? And he was like, he, Shatner wanted to go for a sense of mm. wonder. I think what Shatner ended up doing was giving us his classic. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I'm I fine with fine. that. <laughs> yeah, I think overall it's, it's, it's good. It, it was a it was a solid ending for Kirk. Um, it it, it yeah. wasn't the all guns blazing way out for him to go that I might have expected, but I I do yeah. think it was good, and I got a very very solid laugh out of when um <laughs> when he said to Picard, you know, well I'm the captain of the Enterprise, so uh, I can do what I like, and then later on Picard's like, oh, so you're gonna come with me, and he's like, well, who am I to argue with the captain of the Enterprise? <laughs> I was like, that was very good. <laughs> yeah. Also, some strong and, and, horse uh, riding. The, yeah, the, the excellent from Shatner riding. that I wasn't expecting. It was purely Will Shatner showing off. Yeah, that. I thought it was. Um, There's no the, need for it to be there. The, he's 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 a genuinely good equestrian. Um, those horses were his horses that were rented from him for the film. <laughs> I love that he charged um, them and, for it as well. <laughs> uh, well, they they um, if you don't. Uh, Random fact that was added to the place where I found that, um, at least at the time, uh, to insure horses properly, you had to be paying for them as oh, a service. Oh, right, okay, basically. right. <laughs> so, if they hadn't charged, so, like, you know, 
um, it was part of like his overall contract for the film was part of his pay was <laughs> we will rent these horses from Excellent. you. Do you think that's period. because they did? They... And then it was all insured. Do you think properly. that's because they didn't but give him a scene horse... where he got a rip in his shirt, so he he had to put the the horses in as well? Like that that's the ultimate. It's either let <laughs> well, me rip the, my shirt the, off the, or let the... my horses in the film. <laughs> <laughs> on the showing off though, uh, the big like show off maneuver. Uh, for a horse rider is the fact that he makes his horse canvas. I did oh, notice yes. that. He was... And it, and it, and it, it was <laughs> I impressive. really, really enjoyed watching Bill Shatner stroke his own ego, but like actually in an entertaining <laughs> way for once, as opposed to on Twitter yeah, when yeah. he's just being a pillar. Yeah. So like, I, yeah. I, I thought it was very funny. And when he does, when he sidles up to Picard like that, I was like, hey, it, it gave me another laugh. Do you? Did you know what he said after filming what? his death scene? So he's he's just done the like acting and Cut gets called and like people techies are moving in to get like you know yeah. the props off him. Which obviously aren't that heavy heavy, yeah. but still needs some assistance. And he goes <coughs> Bridge ah! on the <laughs> Solid work, Shatner. Solid Bill. Well done, Bill. Work there. You know what, Bill? We're gonna give you this one. Yeah. We're gonna give it to you. Um, Oh my god, this film is so it is good. It's so much fun. It is so much fun. I mean, is is there anything else anyone wants yeah. to mention before we yeah. wrap one up? One last go thing. On. I think since we... Uh, one more. Have you one go- more. No, 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 no. You, you, you go, go then I'll go. Okay, well, um, I was just going to say one thing that this film made me think, because obviously it happens at the end of TNG and it happened, and the TOS films happened concurrently with TNG. And it's not a thing we have anymore. Like, you know, we've got the AOS films, but these, I think it's quite rare now to do films mm. of TV shows. I just wonder, do you think they will do a Discovery oh, or I would a Picard? Eat that no. shit right up if they did. But I think they've probably blown <laughs> all of their Discovery budget on Discovery. They, <laughs> I yeah. don't think they have any money left to put it on the big screen. I don't think... I don't think it would make them any yeah. money either. They make more money CBS uh, because that's how people, yeah, yeah p- p- people yeah. consume. I mean, it wouldn't make them any money now. No one could go fucking <laughs> yeah. see the thing. But like in general, like movies don't really get made uh, from TV shows anymore because the, there's more money in making mm. a TV series nowadays yeah. because of streaming and things like that. That's why mm. loads of the big actors who used to know, like, no, they would never touch TV. Once they became famous, now. like now they're all going I'm into TV, yeah. and you, you, you get loads of TV series with really big names in it because they—that's where the money is these days. Mm. So I, I don't think there will. I think they'll continue to be Star Trek films. I just don't think there'll be any relation to what's happening in the in the TV series. Yeah, I just wondered, like it was a thing that I realised had changed. Anyway, Maddie also yeah. had a final thing to say, and we've been going on way. Yeah. Yeah. Have an extra long episode. I just thought that since we started the episode by talking about. Klingon dicks. The only fitting way to end the episode <laughs> is by talking about Klingon titties. And I, yeah, <laughs> and I just want to talk about. I know exactly what you're going to say, and I have, I agree completely. <laughs> no, well, what I was going to say is just I, I'm I'm just I'm like on the one hand I thought they were great. I love that there was the inclusion of these two female antagonists who are like secondary antagonists. Um, these Klingon sisters. But then also, I'm just, on the other hand, I'm like, why are men, and why are men like this when they write <laughs> women in the 90s that, like, these 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 ferocious, fearsome Klingons with their Klingon get-up are, like, still bizarrely humanly sexualized, despite also yeah. 
being Klingons, which means that by conventional standards of human attractiveness, like they're not that hot because they have like massive ridges going all the way up and down their foreheads and, you know, like <laughs> enormous um, like eyebrows that like reach up to the sky. Um, but then they have boob holes. They have holes for their <laughs> boobs in the center of their armor, just like a cleavage hole, just so they can be stabbed through the titty. And it's like, <laughs> and there was this, there's this line that, is like on the one hand funny and it is funny because it's the 90s but nowadays you just think like oh piss off where Geordie's had his visor hacked and the Jura sisters are watching it on the view screen um Geordie opens his eyes and the first thing that he sees is Dr Crusher leaning over him and then it cuts back yeah. to the the Klingon sisters and they're both going and then they're like human <laughs> women are so repulsive and I'm like, come on. <laughs> like, it's a dig at them, but it's like no male character put in that position would have a joke made about them not being sexy as like a thing. Yes, it's exactly. Just, yeah. I, yeah, look, it's fine. It's the 90s. I laughed. It was funny. And I thought they were great antagonists. And I love the fact that in this massive budget movie, they're wearing fake fangs that are so big for their <laughs> mouths that they're like <laughs> they're like poor Rami Malek in Bohemian Rhapsody like looking like they've got an entire donut in their <laughs> mouth that they're not allowed to chew on like <laughs> Anna was um, like so I was watching the film and Anna was um, doing like various other stuff um, but she'd made tea and so she'd like brought me a cup of tea just the, and it was that scene where Soren is first on the bird of prey and he's just punched <laughs> yeah. um, one of the women. And Anna just like puts the tea down and before leaving to go back to like doing important stuff, not watching a Star Trek film, she just goes, Nah, Klingon's gonna <laughs> <be> better. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we should say as well, um, uh, uh, just a RIP to. Um, the actress who played one of the, the those Klingon sisters, she died last yeah. year, which is really sad. So, um, but yeah, but, so rest in peace for her. Um, but still, good film. Uh, Excellent film. Very, very fun. Film. Um, Would recommend. There are, there are some, yeah, there are some wasted potential bits and things like that. Like, I mean, you know, Lursa and Beethoven appear in TNG as as conniving interesting villains and i don't think they get to do that role much here but i like them like you know i i talking about this film and going back to watch it like i never remember it as one of my favorite star trek films but watching it today i was just like oh yeah yeah, yeah. i'm yeah. very happy okay. i love it this is a nice comfortable it's place yeah, i love it's it it's great it's actually interesting and exciting and funny and it has all of the features of an competent action movie that you would actually like to see like machinating but also quite intimidating villain, fun fight sequences, like excellent slow-mo of things blowing up. And then like yeah. this, this guy on the bridge, when there's this warp, when they, I think it's when they first hit the ground, um, this guy gets like flung about three meters into the air, crashes on top of his colleague, lands on his colleague's head and then throws both of them over the railing onto the captain's chair. And I was like, that was amazing. <laughs> like that was excellent. Yeah, that is good. I know exactly which scene you mean. It's really cool. Um, I, I think we might be done then, if that's everything. Unless you've got... Oh, we, we need yeah. to talk about which character in the film is most likely to have sucked their own cock. Sorry. I mean, it's definitely either Soren or Jimothy Kirk, isn't mm. it? Like, 
Yeah, the Jimothy Kirk in his retirement <gasps> and missing his. We forgot his own to talk book, specifically so. about my favourite scene in the whole film, which is where Kirk is like going down the broken bridge to get that stupid little remote control device back. And then he's standing on the edge of this broken bridge and there's like a one foot gap to the other bridge and it goes into (laughs) slow-mo as he like slowly gathers the power to like make this (laughs) tiny step onto the other bridge. And he's like, yes, I can still do it. I am still Captain Kirk. (laughs) I may be 60 and portly, but I can do it. Oh, bless him. him. Absolutely (laughs) bless him. And he does it. He does it. He He does do it, and then he dies. And he dies. Um, (laughs) Oh, oh, I've really enjoyed doing this episode. Um, Thank you for listening, listeners. Uh, I know it's been a bit longer than usual, but normal service will resume next week when we'll look at something else we don't know yet. I don't know. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you Uh, want to do? Let's let's maybe do... uh, uh, we haven't done something from TOS. Yeah, we haven't done TOS in a while, and I think it's time that we return. We've done TOS Voyager all yes, Space Nine true. in a while, so let's do yeah. something from one yes. of those in maybe. And we yeah. will... let's do some things from those as the next. And I think yes, and we will be joined by some guests in the next few. Yes. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We, we will. Uh, we will have some exciting sorry. guests. We've got some really interesting names lined up to come on the podcast, so we're really excited to share those with you. Um, otherwise. As always, you can contact us if you've got something you'd like to say or an episode that you'd like us to watch. You can get us on uh, Instagram and Twitter at RedShirtsCast or on email uh, at RedShirtsCast at gmail.com. Otherwise, though, uh, live long and prosper and goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.